was the best version I've ever heard of that song. <laughs> Claire said, you've got to go up there. I said, this really isn't my genre. <laughs> but that, that was awesome. <laughs> I know it, I know it. I, uh, I just wasn't a big disco kind of... <laughs> Anyway, my favorite line in that great song was, uh, I've tidied up my attitude. Hopefully we could tidy up um, our attitude because it's really interesting when it comes to attitude. Um, and we've been in this series for a while now, actually from the beginning of the year, I believe, uh, first week of January. So uh, next week will be, and the series has been Happy New Life. No, it's been since Easter. I'm sorry. Um, so Happy New Life. And... Um, Today we're going to talk about new attitude, and then next week will be the last week. And I'm, I'm really excited about uh, what we're going to talk about today and also next week. I actually wasn't going to speak next week. Um, I was asking uh, Claire and I uh, for some scheduling things, thought next week would be a good week for somebody else to share for a lot of different reasons. Um, and I was in the shower, and I think, um, yeah, I take a shower every once in a while. Anyway... And God just really spoke to me, so I'm looking forward to next week. Um, so, new attitude. Um, it's really interesting when you think about your attitude. Uh, your attitude, you know, we talk a lot as Christ followers, and those of us that aren't Christ followers, perhaps, we talk a lot about faith, belief, which is we understand is so central in our relationship with Christ. Um, but I don't think we consider... Um, the profound power of our attitude and how connected it is, first of all, just to our faith. Um, but your attitude and mine and how we approach life um, is so absolutely critical. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes uh, this morning. We're going to scan over several scriptures uh, in Philippians. Philippians is written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Some of you know um, him as... Um, anyway... So Paul, the whole book is written while he's in prison. And uh, there's so many great examples of powerful attitudes, God-centered attitudes in the scripture. But um, outside of Jesus himself, I don't think anybody exemplifies the kind of attitude that we're invited into like the Apostle Paul. It's just unreal when you think about it. It's hard for us, I think to, you know, we all have difficulties and hardship and things that go on, and some of us certainly much more intense than others, but it's really hard for us to wrap our arms around or our minds around what it would be like to be in a Philippian prison, um, to be, here you see a picture of what is thought of to be the Philippian jail where Paul wrote this um, book from. So to be in that situation as a, as a very mature Christ follower, as somebody who has given his life totally to following Christ and ends up in prison, how will he respond to that? And Paul was in prison uh, multiple times. It wasn't just one time that he was in prison. Um, but, you know, there's times we see him singing in prison. There's, there's all kinds of awesome things that go on. But his attitude is so much to be exemplified and to pay some attention to. So, so we're going to pick it up this morning. And hopefully this will help all of us. Because I think that if we can, uh, there's a couple of reasons why it's critical. If we can um, 
work on our attitude and really pay attention to our attitude, I think it just has such positive effect on every area of our lives, not just our faith, but on every area of our lives, right? Um, and I think that, you know, as we, as we move into those things, it's the way that we honor God and mature. I don't think you can mature and develop in Christ with a bad attitude. I think that you might as well just uh, invite yourself out of the room. You just stop right there until you can get it back into line. So let's talk for a couple minutes about this. Philippians 1.12, and like I said, I'm going to skip around a little bit. But the underlying theme of the book of Philippians, when you read it, uh, most... Most commentators would say that it's the book of joy. Could you imagine that Philippians is the book of joy? That if there's any book in the Bible that talks about joy, it's, it's the book of Philippians written from a prison cell. Now that's a good attitude. That's the right kind of attitude. Now we're not just talking about a good attitude, we're talking about a God-centered attitude. Let me say that right from the get-go here. Anyway, Paul says this. He says, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment for Christ is for Christ and most of the brothers and sisters having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. And he goes on. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation from love, if sharing in the spirit, any compassion, any sympathy, make my joy, there's that word, it shows up a ton in this book, make my joy complete, be of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, everyone say humility, in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not for your own interests, but to the interests of others. Verse 14, do all things, everyone say all things, without murmuring or arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which we will shine like the stars in the world. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation going back up from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, be of the same mind as Jesus is what he's saying. What that word mind there means can be uh, illustrated as attitude but, or as mind, but more accurately, I would say that it, and other versions say this, is Paul is saying have the same attitude that Jesus had. And I think that's the example that he, he lives into himself. Chuck Swindoll says it this way. He says, your attitude is more important than your past. It's more important than your education, more important than your money. It's more important than your circumstances, than what people do or say to you. Your attitude is more important than your appearance, your giftedness, or your skill. Now, I think in this letter, and we could go on, there's so much in the book of Philippians, but just in what we're covering here, uh, there's things that we see kind of come out uh, of Paul that maybe are nuanced and we don't pay enough attention to, so I want to help us with that. Uh, the first thing is, and I think there's signposts along the way, the first thing is this signpost of expectancy. 
In other words, Paul seems to encourage us and live into this attitude of privilege. Um, Let me just put it this way. Paul never seems to get away from the fact that he understands at the center of his expectancy is the privilege of being a Christ follower. His expectancy always goes back to what he's expecting is Christ. So no matter what happens in his life, that's what he's expecting. If I'm in a prison cell, I'm expecting Christ. If I'm abounding, I'm expecting Christ. I'm not expecting all these other things. I can live with an expectancy. I think it's healthy for us to live with expectancy that creates an atmosphere of faith for us to live, for instance, uh, for things that go beyond where we're living right now. But at the core, what Paul's saying is my expectancy and your expectancy should be centered in the understanding that we are privileged to be called Christ followers, to have a relationship with Jesus so that when anything else falls apart, when anything else falters, my relationship and my love for Christ and my attitude will never falter because it is centered in an expectancy of I'm after Christ. That's how he could say some of the things that he said, right? That's how Paul could continue to go back to these places which seem beyond us. I want you to know, beloved, he says, what has happened to me has actually helped spread the gospel. This is an expectancy of Christ. What he's saying is, look, here I am, I'm in prison, and I expected Christ to do something, and lo and behold, I've got a captive audience. I've got guards that are stuck here, and they have nowhere to go without being punished, and I can preach to them all day and all night long. This is awesome. That's a great attitude. That's an attitude of expectancy, that my life is centered in Christ. It's about sharing Christ. It's about living into Christ. It's about being formed in Christ. See, what happens to us and what's perplexing about our lives or our life is not so much what we face. It's not the difficulties and the hardship and the circumstances we face. What's perplexing is how we feel about those things. It's, It's what goes on internally in us in us. It's not what we go through. In other words, it's how we feel about what we go through. It's the inner turmoil, the emotional struggle that goes on in us, the discontentedness. So again, what happens is when we, when we find this turmoil being overwhelmed and our attitude starts to be beaten down, one of the things that we can start to pay attention to possibly is, are my expectations outside of being centered in Christ. Therefore, I'm so disappointed. I am so brokenhearted over these things that have not gone the way I want them to go that now my attitude, which should be centered in the expectancy of Christ, I'm finding it's been centered in the expectancy of other things. Those really are secondary. That's what Paul's saying. When the expectation is in Christ or not in Christ, but outside of Christ, it begins to put us out of whack. This is the core of our discontentedness, for instance, even as Christ followers. It's what makes us want to just stay in a position of avoiding the life that's been given to us. And then we watch other people's lives and we don't like what's going on in their lives and so we still 
we expect their life to be different. So their life's not different and our life's not different. And this isn't going the way I expect it to. And that's not going the way I expect it to. So we get discontent and we begin to move. I think it's important what Paul's saying here is when all is said and done is when your expectancy is in Christ. When it's all said and done, everything's going to be all right. That's the promise, right? Paul says in another part of the scripture, doesn't he? He says that Christ will work all things for good for those that love Christ and are called according to his purpose. Not all things are good, but they're going to work to good. When your expectancy is in Christ, you can count on the fact, even when you're in a prison cell and they may execute you tomorrow, that ultimately my expectancy is totally going to be fulfilled and is fulfilled in Christ. When I live from that place, I can live with an attitude that is at a different place than what the world's expecting. You know, this expecting thing is interesting too. And I think there's so much for us to gain from watching each other with our expectation resting in Christ. You ever notice like generationally there's differences in the way we have expectation in Christ. And racially at times there's different kind of way we live into our expectation in Christ. But at the core of it, it's the expectation of Christ, right? Socioeconomically, it seems to be different at times. Uh, So yesterday I went to my first baby shower. Yeah, I was, I, I, it was our son, Josiah, youngest son, and his wife, Libby. They're going to have a baby in August. We're so excited. It'll be our fifth grandchild. Yep. A boy, a boy. I think they're going to name him Scott. Anyway, yeah, uh, Libby's dad, his name's Chuck uh, or Charles. He said, I keep telling him, I think Charlie Scott Lorridge would be a great name. I said, hey, well, I think Scott Charlie Lorridge would be a great name. <laughs> I don't think they're going for either one of those. But um, anyway, so yeah, I I had the privilege of praying and I thought, what do I say? Gosh, what do I say when I pray? You know, it's just so much. I want to bless them. And I thought, well, I'm going to say this is the first shower that I've ever been at. But I thought, no, that sounds kind of stinky. So no, this is the first baby shower. So there I was, prayed. It was awesome. But I noticed because it was a, it was a room where there's men and women and um, one of those showers, kind of the new way of doing things. And uh, uh, one, uh, Pam, Josiah's mother-in-law, uh, Chuck and Pam are wonderful people. Pam said, um, it was my idea to have the men. She said, because I wanted you to live in the same pain we have to live in, in these things. <laughs> so just love them so much. Anyway, so I notice I'm watching around the room and I'm watching, you know, you ever, you, you, we've all been there, right? When the conversation about expecting mothers, of course, that's part of the conversation yesterday. Libby's getting ready to have a baby and there's, you know, there's other young moms there with their babies. And then there's, you know, the older Uh, the more seasoned moms, you know, a lot of moms there that have adult kids. And then there's moms there that have kids that are a little bit older. And anyway, just the plethora. So the conversation comes up and all the stuff about what to expect. But it's interesting, like um, how young mothers, when they have a baby, how it's like, you know, especially the first baby, right? Like, don't touch the baby. Like, you're not allowed to touch the baby. Don't breathe on the baby. Boil that pacifier 500 hours before they get it. Then you get the more seasoned mothers, and they're like, would somebody take this crumb grabber from me? I mean, it's like, you know, they're not worried about their baby being touched. When they've had like three or four, it's like, hey, somebody help. But the expectation, and I noticed 
uh, the beauty in the room of young mothers and mothers with experience having these conversations about what it's like to be a mom. And it was beautiful to watch the energy of a new mom or new moms because new things and new expectancies bring a lot of energy and bring a lot of expectation and a lot of unknowing. And it's a beautiful thing to watch and pay attention to. And at the same time, there, are, there were mothers in the room that were talking about on the other side of that that have deep wisdom and have done the journey. And uh, the folks in the room were people, uh, for the most part, the conversations I heard, uh, people of faith. And to listen to these moms talk about trying to help the younger moms. So I think what happened, my point is simply this, is I think what happens in our expectation is sometimes we cut ourselves off from fully enjoying one another's expectations. And um, like, here's an example, because what happens is we, uh, I I would say for me, especially when I was younger, um, it's like we just, just, there's a lot of wisdom there's a lot to be gained by other uh, thoughts and points of view and a lot of uh, things to be gained by the energy of people younger than you and the wisdom of people older than you. Um, but we feel like at times we don't need that. Uh, so we don't need that shared expectancy. So I remember several years ago, I was up here playing basketball and uh, I, I might have had a couple gray hairs by then. And there was, you know, we played, we played a lot over the years here. And um, anyway, there was this one guy, I think he only came one time. And uh, he, he said, hey, uh, he didn't know who I was and uh, that's fine. He said, I, I'm gonna guard old school. I got old school. He's a young guy. And uh, I thought, well, that's, that's cool, you know, guard old school. And uh, so we started playing, and sure enough, a few minutes into the game, he made a shot and was celebrating himself. He's like, hey, man, that's how we do it. I'm like, all right. right. So I came down the next time, and uh, (laughs) scored, walked back. And I thought, I didn't say, I thought, pick up what you just dropped on the floor, brother. (laughs) For those of you that never played, you don't know what that means. It's probably really good. But this this is what happens to us as we begin to cut ourselves off from the energy of expectation and the wisdom of expectation. Paul says that expectancy should be centered in Christ. He starts to talk, and he refers to this issue of the sign. His life is a signpost of diligence. Just this can do. I can do. And this, we'll talk a little bit about this next week. But Paul is the one that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Diligence is what Paul talks about here in chapter 2. He says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being of, uh, being of full accord and of one of mine, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you, 
Look not out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. The same attitude, let it be in. In other words, what he's saying is have an attitude of diligence. We all know about the power of water, that over a long period of time, if you just have a drip, some of you at your house, in your sink, you've had a drip, perhaps, for a a period of time, and it can erode surfaces much harder than uh, the water itself. It is the power of diligence. But somewhere along the way, if we're not careful, we can lose that. What Paul is living into in this prison cell and what his life so speaks and what he invites us into is a life of diligence. In other words, I will show up. I will be known in hell. It's interesting, at one point, there's the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts, and they're trying to cast out devils, and they're having a hard time doing it. And um, anyway, the demons end up speaking to these guys, and they, because they're not having any effect on the demons, and they say, listen, Paul we know, Jesus we know, Apollos we know, but we don't know who you are. So it's naive to think that you can go into a war with the enemy if you are not diligent about your walk, your attitude. I will have an attitude of diligence. I will show up. I will, the devil will know my name in hell because I'm going to show up. That's what the attitude of diligence is. Diligence. I will show up day in and day out. Kids get this diligence thing, don't they? They get it. They just like, let's do this again. Let's just do it. Doesn't matter how boring it seems. Doesn't matter how monotonous it seems. They just keep showing up. There's this little girl. She's seven or eight years old. She's spending a weekend with her grandma. And uh, her grandma decides, well, let's bake some cookies. So they're in the kitchen baking cookies. And the little girl's getting bored. And, uh, you know, she's like looking around. She says, hey, grandma, how old are you? And uh, the grandma's like not wanting to share her age for some reason. And she's like, well, let's, you know, it's not important how old grandma is, but let's just keep baking these cookies. And she said, no, you can trust me, grandma. Your, se- your secret's safe with me. How old are you? And she says, well, I'd rather not tell you, you know, so they keep doing their thing. And a few minutes later, a few minutes go by and the grandma realizes the little girl's gone. She's out of the room. She's like, oh, no. And anybody that's been around a seven or eight-year-old, just like, I, I got to go find out what's going on. They're probably getting into something. So she goes up to her bedroom, and sure enough, the little girl is sitting on the bed, and she's got her purse upside down, poured out everything in the purse, and she's digging through it. And in, in her hand, she's got the grandma's license. And the grandma's like, well, what are you doing, honey? She says, well, uh, I know that you're 76 years old. I see it right here on your license. She says, 76? She said, that's really something. How'd you figure it out? She says, well, it's got your date of birth right here. So I I took that and I just kind of counted backwards. You're 76. She says, that's really something. You know I'm 76. She says, yeah. And I also know you got an F in sex, Grandma. Kids don't even know that they're, they, they're just having fun and they got a great attitude. They don't have a clue in life, right? Job was diligent. The devil shows up with, the devil shows up, presents himself in front of God and says, Job hasn't had any hardness in his life. And God shows through Job's life, that Job is a diligent follower with a diligent attitude in Christ. At one point, Job says this. This is like 
the essence of diligence, a diligent attitude. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him and praise him. See, diligence is the key attitude that creates a well-known name in hell. If you don't care what the enemy thinks of you, don't worry about diligence. But if you want the enemy to know that you have not only arrived on the earth, but you're living this life best you can and living it in Christ with your expectation, the attitude of your expectation to be centered in Christ, be diligent. And then there's the signpost of connection. The signpost of connection is simply where we started. It's clarity about, first of all, who you are and whose you are. We sang a song a few minutes ago, I know whose I am. I know who I am and I know whose I am. The signpost of connection is knowing that in the midst of whatever is going on in my life, no matter what anybody says or does, or no matter what attack comes against me, my life is in Christ. I know who I am. That does not change that. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, do all things without murmuring or arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like the stars in the world. The saying goes that life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we respond to it. Dr. Viktor Frankl, neurologist, psychiatrist, was arrested by the high command of the Nazis during World War II. He was stripped of everything he had. His wife was taken from him. His family was taken from him. His practice was taken from him, his home, his clothing, his gold watch that was a gift given to him, and even his gold wedding band, stripped naked in front of the Nazi high command and leadership as they mocked him. He was in full humiliation, false accusation after false accusation until he was found guilty of crimes he did not commit. He would spend three years in a Nazi concentration camp. When he got out, his wife would be dead, both of his parents would no longer be alive, and many other family members, among other things. But one thing that Frankel said in the book that he has written, he said, one thing that can never be taken from me is my attitude. He said these words, they will not make me hate, I will live in hope. They will not make me bitter, I will forgive. They will not make me mean-spirited, I will love. They will not make me do anything that I do not choose for myself. The one thing that you can't take away from me, Frankel said, is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last of one's freedoms, Frankel said, is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. Frankel knew who he was. When you know who and whose you are, you realize that the blessings of life are not on other things, they're on you. God blesses you. God brings other things into your life, but God is about bringing blessing to you. God is with you. He's with you as an individual, as a person that cannot be taken away from you. 
Victor Frankl and the Apostle Paul would say to us, I believe, do not let them, or I will not let them define who I am. Do not let them define who you are. Do not let circumstances define who you are. Do not let the voice of the haters define who you are. Do not let the voice of a culture or movements that have gone astray define who you are. Do not let the bandwagon define who you are. Do not let a loud voice, just because it's louder than all the other voices, define who you are. And do not let the voice of the world ever define who you are. God bless you. God blesses you. Know who you are. Know whose you are. Stay centered in Christ. Most people spend the majority of their time asking God to help them with how they are and not so much attention on who they are. The invitation from Paul in a cell in the Philippian jail is to pay attention to who we are, to have an attitude that, that pays attention to who we are. This is what this looks like in prayer as we close. Instead of praying, not that this is a wrong prayer, but it should not be our primary prayer. Instead of the prayer being, Lord, take this from me, or Lord, give this to me, our prayer, when centered in Christ, when connected with, I know who I am, praise this, Lord, use this tension in my life to work in me because you, oh God, are my expectation. I will be diligent in my attitude toward you, God, because you are with me in prison cells and you are with me when I, when I celebrate. You are with me in the hardships of my life and you are with me in the, the victories of my life. know who I am in you, God. So right now, as we stand, I just want you just to raise your hands if you don't mind. And I just ask that we would just let go. Just let go of all and any voices. however they manifest in your life. They might manifest through circumstances or situations. You may not even think of anything right now, but you know of other things. Just let those things go. Say, God, I'm just giving those over to you. I will not be driven. I will not let my attitude be consumed by anything but my expectancy being on you. So Holy Spirit, invade this space right now. The plans 
this week with blessings, with peace, and with your love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week, everyone. We'll see you next weekend for Graduation Sunday. For I know the plans I have.